This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey, all of you out there living with and loving teens and tweens, I'm really excited to let you know that I am offering up everyone's favorite free introductory workshop, Positive Discipline with Teens, Tuesday, April 4th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. PST. In this workshop, you will get the basics of positive discipline and how it looks as your young people move through adolescence. We'll touch on brain development, move through a few experiential activities, and all of it will help you learn the mindset and the tools for being who your teen needs you to be. Check it out and register now at besproutable.com slash free dash workshop. This is a useful and interactive 90 minutes with space at the end for some Q&A with me. The workshop will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. So go now to besproutable.com slash free dash workshop and sign up today. See you April 4th. Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder, coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around, snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to introduce you to this week's guest on the pod. I get to talk to Dr. Dana Dorfman. And Dr. Dorfman is a New York City-based psychotherapist with 30 years of experience treating adolescents, thank God for you, and parents in her private practice schools and agency settings. 
As a passionate advocate of adolescent mental health, she is a lecturer and consultant for parent centers, schools, and corporations. Dr. Dorfman resides in New York City with her husband, her two teenagers, right? They're both teens. Love that. And their beloved dog, Winnicott. When Worry Works is her first book. So, hi. I'm so excited, Dr. Dorfman, to have you on the pod. Hi. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, we were just talking before I hit record about how much we love talking to people who see things through the same lens and get excited about these topics. I love that you specialize in adolescent mental health. I can't tell you how many parents I support and work with who are looking for help for their kids and just the wait lists are so long or they end up with someone who's just not useful. And I just really appreciate anyone who's stepping into that arena and supporting our teenagers because they need it now more than ever. So thank you for your work. Uh, It is my pleasure. It really is. It's a privilege to do this kind of work. I think I don't take it lightly. You know, I don't sort of take it for granted. I think it's a privilege to have people entrust you with their most shameful and private selves, you know, so. Yeah, their inner world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I definitely feel that privilege just in my coaching relationships that I have with clients big time, like we're holding their souls, Mm -hmm. you know, with tenderness and love and compassion. What drew you to working with teenagers and adolescents? I was originally trained to work with children. I've always been really interested in human development and personality development. And so naturally kind of learning to work with children really kind of solidified that. And then I think that when I started my career, I was much younger, obviously. And I think in many ways, I appealed to adolescents at that time because I was older than they were, but younger than their parents. So I think that there was like a simpatico or something that happened. And then by virtue of developing an expertise with adolescents, then I just kind of continued as such. But I must say that I, I guess, as I became a parent, also, I probably became more interested in the parenting element of that duo. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, I started facilitating positive discipline classes. That's what I'm trained in. When my kids were young, like under the age of five and just kept progressing. And really, I felt at the time, like I would every once in a while, I would have some parents of teenagers in my class. But I was always really aware of the fact that you don't know what you don't know until you're in it. Mm -hmm. And then you really know. And so as my kids became teenagers, my whole foundation was shook, honestly, because I was like, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, just like, holy shit, what does positive discipline look like in this context? <laughs> like, have I been duped? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And so I'm curious, we have similar age kids, mm-hmm. your daughter's 21 and your son's 17. How has having adolescents of your own in your home influenced your work? <laughs> It has absolutely influenced my work. I would say that, especially as I was writing this book, and I think that it is natural to be much more judgmental of anyone who is in a life stage outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think about it a lot, even when I was working with newer parents, and I did many new mothers groups at some point in my career, and how many parents would say, 
you know, I promised myself that I was not going to do A, B, and C, or, you know, when I had children, I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And then we realized that the reality is so much more nuanced. It's so much more complex. And so I think that I became much less judgmental and much more nuanced, even in my thinking that as much as I prided Mm -hmm. myself on not being a binary thinker, I think I really had to kind of extend my continuum as I raised my own kids. And undoubtedly, it's influenced me as a person. It's absolutely, as you have said many times on your podcast, too, that it's humbling. It's humbling to have adolescents who are looking at you and trying to identify what the hypocrisies are and sort of in their critical thinking, which we very much want to be developed, it also gets applied to us. And that can feel they hold up a mirror to us that can sometimes feel really, I say shameful, I don't know. Shameful, painful. I mean, (laughs) it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think there's some of us that see the mirror and recognize it as an opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? And then I think there's other people that just aren't really there yet. And it's more of like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. How dare you make me feel mm-hmm. this way? Mm-hmm. Right. And like project, project, project. Yes. So yes. yes. Oh my gosh. My husband teases me. He's like, so when our kids are like in their early twenties, are you going to be the expert on having kids <laughs> who are, I'm like, probably, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of following yep. along and noticing too, like my experience was as I was moving through some really, really hard teen years, I couldn't find the resources that I needed. Not that there weren't resources. You know, go to Barnes and Noble, there's a billion books on teens and adolescents, but conversations that were messy and like you said, that were nuanced, real, raw, like I wanted to consume that content. Mm -hmm. I was like, it'd be great if there was a formula. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is a formula. Mm -hmm. Where is the formula? Mm -hmm. You know, there is a collective experience of adolescence, right? And development. But then there's all these unique flavors and layers and experiences and relationships that kind of, you know, make it so formulaic thinking around how we're going to raise our teens isn't necessarily useful. So anyway, yes, all that to say, I'm so excited about your new book. I'm so excited to preach it to parents and to tell the world, like, get your hands on this book. I'm hopeful that my membership can do a book study around it and that you'll come and hang out with us. But we'll talk about that later. We could geek out. Yes, because it's all around. And you listeners, I'm telling you, it centers around parental anxiety in the context of achievement pressure. So talk a little bit about that and why it was a topic that you felt called to write about. I would say I'm still trying to kind of condense like my own kind of origin story because that too was so multi-layered. But I would say that it kind of comes from three different places. I have been working as a therapist in New York City, which is a hotbed of achievement and high achievement and competition for decades at this point. And I was seeing the upward trend in anxiety and depression among my adolescent patients. And they were from families that were highly privileged, many of them, and very loving, well-intended, high-achieving families. And these were kids who were 
checking the boxes. They were high achieving kids and had resumes that, you know, many people aspire to. However, they were the kids who were anxious and depressed and feeling lost and soulless and disaffected and disconnected from themselves. And so I knew that there was some kind of a disconnect between the parents' intentions of wanting their kids to be happy and successful and fulfilled in life and what I was seeing in my office. Additionally, I was raising two kids in New York City and could really appreciate in that nuanced way the complexities of wanting kids to achieve and also trying to find the balance or how to integrate in their mental health and their mental well-being into achievement because it seemed as though the two were more separate Mm -hmm. in their presentation. And lastly, and probably why I kind of had a particular attunement to this is because of my own history as a underachiever that I was really curious, interested kid who around middle school or so kind of bowed out of school. I remained in school, like at least physically, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't do any work. I really underachieved. I almost didn't graduate from high school, much to my parents' dismay. And for somebody who wanted to learn and was curious, but I was not applying any of that or was unable to apply any of that to my achievement was the source of you know, great pain for me and also curiosity. I just sort of wanted to understand how did I get to be this way? You know, so I have always had kind of an interest in achievement and the interplay of emotions in academia and in learning and in motivation. And so I did a deep, deep dive into it. Yeah. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ertube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt 
in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Well, and I'm thinking too, as I listen to you about all the different family systems that exist culturally, like just demographically, how things look. And there's such a variety. I mean, your patients, like you mentioned, come from a lot of affluent families. But I'm also thinking about, you know, single parent families where like, this is the ticket out. You got, Mm -hmm. this is the path. Mm -hmm. This is what you got to do. Or even you know, families of color where it's like, if you want to catch up, if you want to be the person in the room, you know, and all of the layers that come from all the different scenarios. I mean, I'm similar to you, whereas I came from a a high achieving family. I came from a family where education equaled value and something that I thought, sorry, listeners, I talk about this all the time, but I'm going to talk about it again. You know, for me, it was like, oh, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to value my whole kid. I'm going to make sure that they know that they are valuable regardless, right? And then come 11th grade with my daughter, who completely fell apart and dropped out. And I was completely confronted Mm -hmm. by this conditioning that I thought I had let go Mm -hmm. of. When in fact, it was just waiting for the opportunity to be like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) Casey, Mm -hmm. this is not your Mm -hmm. value. This is your value, Mm -hmm. which was actually not a value. It was just conditioning, you know, disguised as something that I was like basically freaking out about, right? Because how can your future possibly play out in an optimal way? You know, and like I mentioned before, we hit record to her credit. My daughter knew what she needed and uh, dragged me along. But uh, it's just so fascinating, all the nuances that bring us to this place. Because I too have clients, you know, I talk to the parents and whether it's they're not getting their homework done or they don't care about school or da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that our relationship's important. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And I don't care. You know, this is what I love too. Like, we don't care what their grades are. We just want to know that they're doing their best. Mm -hmm. right? When Mm -hmm. ultimately, Mm -hmm. and I fall into it too. I'm like, it seems really easy. (laughs) So I don't understand why you're not getting X, Y, Z grade. And then I'm like, ah, what am I doing? Yes. Yes. What trap have I fallen into? And it is part of such an ingrained belief system that we have. And certainly I'm not anti-achievement. I'm just sort of pro 
achieving, applying yourself toward things that excite you and interest you, you know, and cultivate you. And so I can appreciate, though, so much of the time, kind of the mixed messages that I offer my kids, despite my writing a book about it, despite my having gone through my own therapy, you know, really dug deep into this topic. Yet, we are also in a world that really reveres achievement and productivity. And as the pressures and as the complexities of the world intensify, I think that we feel that much more anxious about the future because we all know that the future is uncertain. And so we look for certain kinds of anchors or markers or guarantees, like at least we know if she has you know, a high school degree, at least we know she'll be able to dot, dot, dot. And so- As if, like it's such an illusion, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) Our generation is really conditioned. I mean, previous generations were as well, but it's interesting because actually the book somehow or other has been released despite it not having been released yet. Like I don't have any copies of it, but some people who have pre-ordered the book have gotten it. And my mom was one of those people that she called last night and said, you know, I was reading your book and, you know, she was very complimentary and knew how long and hard I had been working on it. But she said, she says, good job. You achieved it. <laughs> kind of. But I think <laughs> you have value also now. kind of like, wait a second here. Is this a bashing of me? And she said, I can't uh-huh. tell you it. She had only gotten like halfway through, but she said how much I identified with those moms, the moms that I used in mm-hmm. certain or the parents in certain scenarios who were trying to get their kids to do what they thought they should be doing. And she said, this kind of parenting is very hard for me to relate to, like sort of what I was espousing or what Mm -hmm. she perceived that I was. She said, it wasn't even within our consciousness to think about doing it. And I really, really appreciate and try to describe to her, you know, how much I understand from where she came and why she believed what she believed. And there were many sociocultural generational factors and scientific that contribute to each generation's kind of general parenting style. And she said, and I still think that it's important. And I said, I do too. I grew up in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because we kind of got our feet in both places. Like we've got one foot in and understanding our parents where like everything you just mentioned, all the things, all the conditioning, the environmental influence that found them where they were parenting the best they could with the tools they had. And then we've got that like in our bones, right? Because we lived with it. And then we've got the other foot in this, you know, I mean, there's a lot of terminology that I don't love, but to me, it's basically a more relationship centered Mm -hmm. approach Mm -hmm. of being with our kids. Mm It's actually a hard thing to straddle, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like this old conversation. Some of you are listening and you're like, yeah, I'm over the old conversation. I'm good. (laughs) Great. Congratulations. Uh It is still very present for me. It shows up. It sneaks in, right? And I'm also constantly in that leaning in and choosing into, okay, how can I come at this through a relational place, Mm -hmm. right? How can I let go of this old idea of carrot and stick? Or, you know, what I heard was you cannot be a successful human being without a college degree, mm-hmm. right? Or you cannot be a successful human being if you ever smoke or if you get a tattoo or like that mm-hmm. was pretty much the reigning argument mm-hmm. was like only successful human beings look this mm-hmm. one way. Mm-hmm. 
versus tell me more about what's going on for you. Tell me about what you want. Tell me about your vision for the future, right? I mean, my kids are, I'm in awe, right? I'm in awe, especially of my oldest right now because she's really in this transition into young adulthood and seeing she can do anything she wants, Mm -hmm. right? And she's teaching me. It can look so many different ways. And I think back to that fear that I had deep, real fear when we were in the gauntlet with her and how like none of the things that I was afraid of have played out, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to tell parents and some of you that are listening, I know that you're here. The fear and the struggle right now is temporary. It's going to morph. It's going to change. Your kids are going to mature. It's going to look different. I can't promise how it's going to look. Everything is temporary. Mm -hmm. I hope my mother listens to this at some point too. We love our mothers. Shout out to our mothers. Shout out. Totally appreciate it. And our stepmothers. I have a stepmother too. I love you. You have more examples even. Yeah, there you Um, go. She was even saying we had such a defined sense of right and wrong. She said our goal was to get you to comply, like to behave, to adhere to what the rules were. And, you know, she's a child of the 50s. That's certainly like, where the world was. And so they were trying to, you know, get us in line and kind of fit us into, I know you talk a lot about like boxes. And mm-hmm. I think even now, you know, as my parents have six grandchildren, and all of whom are either adolescent or young adult, and have been very involved in everyone's lives, and they're wonderful grandparents. We have many conversations about even like, you know, gender fluidity and language, Mm -hmm. and they are very liberal people. And even then, they're just like, I just don't get this. Like, how could there be so many people who don't know what gender they are? Their whole paradigm has been called into question. And in order to accept some of these elements of it, it would require almost, or it feels like, or the fear is that you have to deconstruct or dismantle the entire paradigm in order to understand or avail yourself to some of these new expansive ideas. So I find that very intriguing too, the generational shifts, or even just sort of the changing of ideas or expanding of ideas, kind of how change happens in cultures, in societies and systems. I mean, our kids are really holding up the mirror to the systems that we accepted never even occurred to me to question, you know, it was the way it was. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's our privilege as white women too, right? Like part of that is our privilege for sure is. And the other thing too, I think, and I wonder, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I feel like for a long time, you know, there's that, oh, teenagers, like I roll, oh, you know, teenagers, they think they know it all. Or, you know, it's the same as what was like for us. And I just want to stand for this generation of kids that are coming of age with, you know, I keep finding myself saying like, are you kidding me? Active shooter drills and crazy freaking government leaders and the pandemic, which that wasn't something that Mm -hmm. could happen. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much extra, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I'm like, well, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine and I was like, well, imagine being a parent in like 1967. Mm-hmm. You find out that your 17 year old is like doing acid uh-huh. and like they're hippies and they're doing all the things like the jarring nature of that. I mean, it's like, yes, there's been definite critical times in history where the generational divide is so different, but I just, I do, I feel like we've got to, we cannot dismiss 
what the world has been like, you know, for these kids that are coming of age. It is different. It's social media, like computers in your pocket, oh. continuous news. Like, yes. I mean, no wonder they're anxious. Right. And we're anxious. Right. Everybody's and then anxious. we're anxious. I think that the magnitude of it, because I do think that every generation, like as we understand even adolescent development, the beauty of them from an evolutionary standpoint and why their brain is wired the way that it is, is so that they leave their cave. The cave, yes. <laughs> and that they look around and that they start to develop and improve upon the previous generation, sort of take with them mm -hmm. what they like or agree with, and then try to improve upon it. And I think that there is an innate resistance to, you know, to change, certainly. And the more mired we become in a certain kind of thought or belief system, then I think sort of what I was describing before, like the fear of having to dismantle an entire paradigm is much more jarring and frightening if we start to. So I think that that is always the case. You know, certainly we see it with music and, you know, that mm -hmm. parents are notorious for not liking their adolescence music. However, this generation, I completely agree with you. This is a whole other scale of pressure. And also it is so accelerated. I think that that is part of what makes it, especially it's like we are inundated with information at all the time it is accessible to all of us. Like I talk about it with my friends too. Like I was really, I knew current events kind of sort of like, you know, it was something that my parents worried about. And if the news was on or I were to venture to a newspaper, which I didn't do very much of, <laughs> I was clueless about the issues of the world yeah. and even learning about it in school, which I also didn't pay much attention to. But it was irrelevant to me. I mean, it was just yeah. once again, a total place of privilege. Anyway, but now it is so inescapable. I mean, both of my kids mm -hmm. were so aware, you know, during certain presidencies, I think that that informed a lot of their, mm -hmm. like their, their own life goals. I mean, we live in Brooklyn, there were protests going on right in front of our window. There is such a questioning of so many systems in addition to the fact that it is just coming at us all the time from all directions, and it's fast, and our brains are not built, wired, capable of keeping up with it. But even a developing brain of an adolescent, it's like putting on way too much weight, you know, on a dumbbell for somebody who's never lifted a weight before. It's just impossible. Yes, that's a great visual. Yeah. And I wonder, though, too, as I listen to you talk about that, we are going to swing back into your book because it's all related. <laughs> We've taken a left turn and I love it. But I wonder too, you know, the pendulum swing, right? Like, I wonder too if all of these breakdowns are exactly what's needed for a new generation of leadership to be nurtured and grown and show up. Meaning, like, the leaders that are part of Gen Z right now that maybe haven't been actualized as leaders yet. What they are doing is they're observing and they're participating mm -hmm. and they're pulling back and leaning in and they're having this experience that is informing them and inspiring them to be ready, you know, because it's all crumbling. Like so many things are falling apart that need to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And in that fall apart, we've got to have people who can 
be scaffolding for Mm -hmm. that and be the ones that have the voice and the wherewithal and the understanding of the critical moments that we are in, will continue to be in. And so I wonder too, while it's easy, easy to talk, like, yeah, it's a shit show Mm -hmm. out there. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody was telling me about a taxi driver that she had one time who had this prophetic, and let's see if I can remember the statement. He said, you know, something like, we can't know what's wrong if we don't see the wound. And I feel like the wounds are so in our face mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, even as it's painful yeah. and scary. And, you know, it's radical to think about, holy cow, we're going to dismantle. Like, can we dismantle the school system, please, and get it together? Mm-hmm. But, oh my gosh, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how long that's going to take. What are we going to do with the kids in the meantime? Like, All of that is true, but I think that our kids are moving through this time, some of them in preparation to actually be the leaders that say, I have an idea. I know what this can Mm -hmm. look like. And so in the meantime, their parents are full of anxiety. So let's talk about... (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) So in your book, you talk about the parent anxiety reaction types, which I love. It's this whole section where you've kind of identified eight different archetypes Mm -hmm. of parental anxiety. So here's where I find myself. I am a blend Mm -hmm. of the avoider Mm -hmm. and the corrector Mm -hmm. with a wee bit of the crowd pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) So I really do trust in everything is temporary. I trust that we're all here on a journey. I trust that I get to like stay in my lane and be parallel and have my own journey while my child is growing and developing through the highs, through the lows, through the pain and the suffering. I feel like all of that becomes threads in the tapestry that is their life. I also have very clear things that I don't want to repeat. So this is more of the corrector. Like I know, even though they show up, right? But I'm really clear on, I'm not gonna place all of their value on this academic conversation. You know, I want to do better. I want to do different. And I can find anxiety in like, oh God, my son plays basketball and one of his teammates is like, you know, he's a senior and he's graduating and he has a 4.0 and he has so much stress because he's trying to keep up this 4.0. And I'm thinking to myself, like, my kid could give a shit about 4.0s. And I'm glad about that. But I'm also like, "Mm, should he care a little, you know, like it's that crowd pleaser Uh piece and that comparison is also kind of peeking in. So Will you share a little Uh bit about how you created the parent anxiety reaction types and what they are and, yeah, talk a little bit about how we can use them as information to support us in just awareness and doing better? Sure. I'm so glad that you even identified sort of where you fall sort of among the different types. And I think that everybody will see parts of themselves in the different parts, but we usually do have a predominant or dominant part. But I was noticing as I was kind of watching the themes and patterns and was looking a little bit more closely at what was emerging in the dynamics of the families that I was working with. And I did see that there were sort of very specific kind of trends as to how people were managing the anxiety that they had, that they weren't even necessarily identifying as anxiety. They were sort of styles of problem solving or approaching parenting and things. So once I kind of 
distilled down that I thought that anxiety was one of the dominant propellers behind these certain kinds of parenting behaviors, especially when parents were conflicted about something that that like that they felt when they weren't sure what to do, which happens to us mm-hmm. on the daily, in the throes of the conflict, they felt more anxious and then became more reactive to the anxiety than responsive to their team. And so yes, I really wanted to figure out a way to get parents to sort of recognize when they're anxious, and then be able to almost like either suspend it or channel it. The more aware, you know, knowledge is power. It's you're a real proponent of self-awareness too. Mm-hmm. So the more aware a parent can be of kind of when they are anxious, then the better equipped they are to be able to direct their energies in an intentional way, like sort of really what it is that they want as opposed to what it is that they're afraid of happening. And so, you know, in psychology, there are different defenses. And so I was realizing Mm -hmm. also that there are kind of, you know, defense mechanisms that all of us use that our psyches use in an effort to protect ourselves. And a lot of times that is also to manage anxiety. And I was also realizing that each of the different styles were also kind of mirroring different defenses. So I also kind of was able to use that as a theoretical thread. Anxiety can be helpful and anxiety can be harmful. And we oftentimes Mm -hmm. hear more about the harmful side than the helpful side, but we all have styles of managing our own anxiety and we have pretty developed styles by the time we become parents. And so a lot of times too, we use that style, whatever has worked for us in the past, for our children. And a lot of times we impose it on them because that is the right way to do things. So also, if parents can know how it is helpful to have that Mm -hmm. style of anxiety, they can also channel it kind of in what I was describing before, rather than react to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. So there's eight what do we call these? Styles? Yeah, parts, parent anxiety reaction types, parts. Yep, so there's eight parts. So there's the sculptor, mm-hmm. the game show contestant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just like the title yeah. of that one. I was like, ooh, I wonder if that's what you know it's on me. <laughs> the crowd pleaser, the avoider, the clairvoyant, the shepherd, the corrector, and the replicator. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall? I am a corrector through and through. I think that because so much of my identity And so much of what I struggled with was this kind of overemphasis on grades and achievement, not even achievement. It was really like the concrete markers of achievement, like grades and the school status and rankings and GPAs Mm -hmm. that I pushed up against. Pushed up against. Thank you very much. You're like a (laughs) And (laughs) similar to what you're describing, that I was really determined kind of not to emphasize these things and to really emphasize learning and development and growth and emotions and learning your own learning style. You know, I had all of these Mm -hmm. sort of, which I'm sure sounds flowery to some people, but I really was intent on that. And I think in many ways, my kids have really internalized those messages and my, I kind of um, proselytized enough to my husband that he too, like sort of drank my Kool-Aid, but actually it didn't take that much because I think he was raised very similarly and sort of saw the drawbacks of it. And I think what happened was, is that I ended up 
overcorrecting too, that there were times. So Mm -hmm. I was so intent on not emphasizing grades and really ignoring to some degree, some of these quantifiable metrics that my kids felt like I was really insensitive to the world that they live in, you know, and my daughter, she said at one point she was in this gifted and talented school where kids were, it was highly competitive and I was de-emphasizing grades. And she said, you know, all you care about is if I'm a good person. And I was somewhat pleased, but I also, the blatant message was like, you don't understand kind of my world and where I am. And like, and for you to act like this is, that you're above this or something is really insensitive or unempathic to me. And yeah. this is the world that I live in and things because I probably went overboard in my, you know, that doesn't matter to me, you know, kind of. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder too, because as I'm listening, I think, and I want to say all of these styles, and you've already said it, I want to reiterate it. We all find ourselves in these places. There's no like, oh, and we should all work towards being this one thing because it's better than the rest or not being any of them because they're all negative. Like there's really some positives, negatives, like you said, how do we use it versus how do we let it get in our way? And I also want to say, because I noticed this in some of the parents that I work with, there's this idea that, okay, You know, I might hold in my mind that I want my kids to, you know, achieve certain things and, you know, and follow the path, right? The path that I've deemed as the most successful path. But I also might be listening and thinking like, okay, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to do what Casey says and lean into relationship. And that's the right way to get them to stay on the path that I ultimately want them to stay on, right? (laughs) Like there's this idea that it's just another, like it's a reframe of outcome. It's such a big reframe. And sometimes, you know, we have kids that are achievers and they have their vision Mm -hmm. is top of class, elite college, you know, pre-med, whatever. There are those kids that exist. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing, I don't have one, but Mm -hmm. I'm guessing there are those kids that exist. And guess what? It's not because of their parents, Mm right? Right. And then there's the kids that might be on that track because of the unhealthy pressure of their families. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for those kids. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, the rest of us who it's like, you get to decide what this looks like and what, and we get to keep having conversations around, you know, what do you want? What's important to you? Is it important that you don't go to summer school this summer? Do you not want to go to summer school this summer? Okay. What do you need to do to make sure that you can avoid that or Is it important to you to walk with your class through graduation? Okay, great. What do you need to do to make sure that you can make that happen for Mm -hmm. yourself? Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, yes, celebrating who they are and what's exciting for them and recognizing when our own narrative, our conditioned narrative is kind of peeking its head out and getting in the way. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really thinking about people who are like, okay, I want to be relationship-centered and I want my kid to go to Harvard. Mm -hmm. Can both of those things exist? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do I make both of those things exist? Like, what do you hear in that? I hear that the way to be in relation with somebody else is to, as you have said, I feel like I'm sort of feeding back to you things that you've already 
said in previous podcasts, although I guess we could always bring it forward. That's okay. We can say it many different ways. All right. Well, may even say it similarly, but you know, anytime we want to be in relationship with someone else, we have to acknowledge where they are and meet them there, like sort of yanking someone in our in the direction that we want them to go, while they may follow is only going to make them repress or ignore parts of themselves. And so mm-hmm. the more that we can kind of respect their inner lives and bring it out in some kind of way, the more they will be related to and sort of develop a relationship with themselves so that they are able to tune into what it is that makes them feel good, what makes them thrive, what makes them, you know, get into flow. And if that is studying medicine and science, like have at it. So yes, you can have a relationship with your pre-med student. But if that is the only condition on which you are getting any worth reflected back to you, that's problematic. So I don't know if that completely captures kind of the web of issues that I would want to address in it. But like, I want to encourage achievement in the way that like, it sounds like your daughter is absolutely achieving, like it is achieving in accordance with who she is, what her needs are, what she wants, how she's developed. Like, I was thinking about it this morning. I don't know why some random free association. I was thinking like, if the world were based on like being good at soccer, like there would be many people who would feel like failures in the world kind of thing. And so it seems as though if the human brain is so multifaceted and individuals are so highly idiosyncratic and so highly individual, then how could we even say that Harvard is the goal for most people you know, or an Ivy, even prestige, who's to say, it just seems like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. 
I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And, you know, well, you have one that's been through the college process and our boys are getting there. And, you know, I find myself some anxiety showing up thinking about the college application process and the fact that, like, how he looks on paper, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? How our kids look on paper. And I'm hearing parents in the back of my mind talking about, like, okay, well, you know, all these other things, which I'm a huge proponent of and find them to be way more valuable than their grade in algebra. Mm-hmm. But all of these other things, there's nowhere to reflect those social emotional skills. Mm-hmm you know, those characteristics that I value well over the GPA, there's nowhere to display that for somebody who's like, do we want this kid? Do we not want this kid? And, and I'm thinking about your daughter too. Like you're, don't ignore the context of what our kids are living inside of, but also as I listen to you, don't allow it to be the driver. Yes. So I guess it's that kind of like both and. Yes, it is a both place. and. And I think that also I am hopeful that or optimistic that maybe even some of our perspectives about our kids' futures are even kind of shifting or expanding also so that yeah. like a college application is not the be all end all of kind of like a kid's future or future potential. And I think that also, or at least, uh, higher education institutions are, are also kind of supporting the idea. They want to know sort of who a kid is holistically. Mm-hmm. So if a kid is showing strengths in certain areas, but in algebra gets a C, it seems as though, first of all, like the whole GPA thing is a little bit questionable, but also, yeah. so it could very well be this kid who wants to become a journalist. It doesn't really matter if she or he is get to see in, you know, while that doesn't mean like throw it out completely or whatever, but it does, it's sort of the idea that kids are, you know, have a job after school, are showing initiative in some other way, have a sense of who they are, who are they in the community at school, their community outside of school. And I think that um, those can be reflected in ways that are very seemingly, you don't have to fly your kid to Cambodia for some kind of a you know, service project to prove their, that they are compassionate, like, you know, Mm -hmm. being the babysitter of the building that everyone wants to go to shows a hell of a lot more compassion as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, unless they're doing it just for college, but their college application. Yeah. It's just, it so (laughs) detracts from the richness of an experience. Once we say like, yes, we'll look good for college because if you're sort of going down a path of, Like, I want you to be whatever your values are. But if your values are like, I want you to just going to go off to one tangent. I'm sorry, Casey. Okay, do it. I was on the phone just yesterday with a mom of two teenagers also who is an Ivy League attorney who has uh, internationally recognized and really has the credentials of I was going to say who my parents would think are very impressive, you know, and I, yeah, my parents are already impressed. They don't even know that. <laughs> oh no. And then I was impressed also. And interestingly, she was saying how she is really challenged because she and her husband who are both Ivy league educated. They have a son who is a teenager who doesn't 
who is a musician and really wants to become a musician. And of course, and she said, like, it takes every bit of strength for me not to kind of convey my disappointment. She said, we never thought that we would have, we just assumed we would have a kid who would have a similar kind of mind and desire to us. And she said, and I just don't understand this whole thing, you know, a more creative mind. And my point (laughs) was that that was not only her disappointment. And so she said, you know, I just want him to show some initiative. I want him to show some discipline. I want him to dedicate himself to something. I want for him to really invest himself in something. And as we were talking a little bit more, she said, well, he loves horseback riding. And that actually he goes to the barn on his own over the weekend to help out. There's no expectation that he does it, but he just goes because he really, he feels like he wants to help out, blah, blah, blah. And as she's describing this kid who is not only is he a musician, but he's also shown and demonstrated like such tremendous, not only character growth, but also certain things where certain skills had been challenging for him. Mm -hmm. And he just persevered and really tried. He was determined to be able to, if I knew anything about horseback riding. Horses, yeah jump or whatever. And then he really worked toward it. And so I said to her, like, it sounds to me like he's actually doing what you're describing that you want for him to be able to do. And that those are transferable skills, the ability to work something, the ability to find the pleasure of being able to develop some mastery and competence and agency. So not necessarily, you know, and I wasn't trying to kind of espouse like futures of being equestrians. It was just more like, this is what it is that you're valuing. And this is what you want. He is, he's doing it. Yeah. It's there. It exists. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's such an important story. You know, such an important point to leave people with is, you know, and you do this in your book, you talk about this and working from our place of value, parenting from our place of what is it that we value? And for all of you out there that are just feeling a little bit lost and not sure how to support your kids, you know, I would encourage you like make a list and you can add to this too, Dr. Dorfman, but make your list of values and look through those lenses at the ways that those values are coming to life. I think we can have a narrow lens for that, but just like your story shared, we can expand our lens and see those values being developed right? In development, probably not mastered. None of us can claim mastery, I don't Mm -hmm. think. So what else would you encourage parents to do just as we're coming off of the call, regardless of which of the type of anxiety, anxietal parent they are, what would you leave parents with right now to help them shift out of that place of fear and into that place of value so as to be who their teen really needs them to be? I would say just to piggyback on what you already introduced, is that the more that you can identify what it is that is truly important to you, the values by which you live your life, not what you think you should, because a lot of times we have ideals that we think we ought to live by, but what is of most importance to us and what we value most that can also operate a little bit like a mission statement so that you can always use that as your North Star whenever you are in the throes of having to make some kind of decision and not quite sure what direction to go, that at least you can use that as kind of like your GPS. 
And it's easy to say values and we know what we value, but there is great value to even looking at a list of values. There is one in the book and there are, you can certainly get them online as well. Yep. Even to highlight those three or four things that are of greatest importance to you in your life and or in parenting, although I would hope the two align, and then figure out a creative way that you can also apply that or see how it is applied to whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever mm-hmm. dilemma you're struggling with. And I think that the more that you can isolate your values and your anxieties, that you can make sure that the anxiety is not what is driving the bus and that the values are kind of in the driver's seat. It sounds mm-hmm. much more mm-hmm. simplistic. I have used it so many times in my own parenting when my husband and I are really mm-hmm. kind of deliberating about something like, well, what is it that is most important to us? And then kind of using that as the guide to how we should make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh my gosh. And it's a daily practice, everyone. Oh yeah. Moment to moment. We love to talk about that here. It's yeah. a practice. We get to step into that practice. And when we let that anxiety get the better of us, we also get to, you know, work towards making things right and coming back to that practice of value-driven parenting. I really like that. So my final question that I ask my guests, as you know, because you listen, is what does joyful courage mean to you? I think that I love this question. Of course, I wish that I also had a more creative response, but I think that it takes a lot of courage to be able to kind of take a step back and look at yourself and to approach yourself with compassion. And I think that joy kind of emerges from that, that we can see the value of any kind of parenting experience when we can sort of look at ourselves and understand ourselves and even appreciate the context in which we arrive where we have, not that Mm -hmm. we ever fully arrive. So I think that there's something about sort of like self-awareness with compassion as a practice. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Where can people find you and follow your work and get your book? So the book, you can order it on any website, any place where books are sold. And also, you can order the book on my website, which is drdanadorfman.com. And you can also go on my website if you want to take the quiz, which is actually kind of fun. And I think an opportunity to be able to reflect a little bit on the ways that maybe we're operating and anxiety is rearing itself unknowingly. So the quiz is to figure out which archetype? Yes. I'm just going to use the word archetype. Yes, that's fine. (laughs) Which style? Which anxiety? Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then I'll make sure the link's in the show notes, everyone. Great. Yeah, thank you. That would be great. Well, thank you. This was really fun. It was fun to get to know you. And I mean, I could talk to you for another three hours, I'm sure. So we'll have to do this again. But thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. I really appreciate you. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproutable.com. 
Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.